0: Joe Perkins called me this morning and said, I wish I could be there. Uh, he, doesn't, he needs to prepare for surgery and, and needs to be in a place where he uh, doesn't have you know, the danger of, of getting sick. And again, we've seen a lot of that. But he just said, you know, uh, I'm praying for you. He said, um, some folks really don't understand this passage yet. And uh, God has been um, gracious to just help him see and um savor it and and he is uh he's like i said he just he's praying for me and he's also praying for you that you'd receive it it's a wonderful uh passage to him and he holds it dear to his heart so uh we pray that that will be the case this morning so let's look at this together as as we think about it um first i just want to say remember that chapter six through eight Uh, That we are united to Christ and we found out in chapter 6 and we're dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have been freed from sin's power. It's kind of been the emphasis uh, throughout. Uh, Sin's power has been broken and yet in chapter 7 there's still that battle. And you and I will face that. We'll struggle with our flesh. Uh, There's going to be a war within and we have to remind ourselves of that. Uh, thankfully in the end of chapter 7 after saying that there's a struggle uh, Paul says that uh, who will deliver me and he says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and so he's reminded of that truth and chapter 8 when you get there he starts with that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and reminds us that we have been set free from the power of sin we are not only in good standing With the judge of the universe, uh, we have been uh, delivered from the slave market is how he begins that. And then he says to even increase the security that you should have, you've been adopted in the family. So God is judge. No longer are you under his condemnation. Uh, The power of sin, no longer you've been set free from the slave market. And then you move forward and say, well, what about am I in the family? And he says, you're in the family adopted in with all the rights ...and privileges of sons. So, if you're still struggling with confidence... ...this morning, Paul is going to further reveal... ...how God is working out all of his plan on our behalf. He's just going to lay that out for us. He's going to show us that the work of the Spirit... ...or the Spirit is working when we don't know what to pray... ...and that our sovereign God in all circumstances is working out his plan in our lives and so that kind of sets the stage for a handful of questions at the end that will kind of reiterate those truths to us that he's been talking about through the last several chapters of course uh, and throughout the book really so we're going to look at that this morning and hopefully it'll firm up for you and, and allow you to see with greater confidence he is trying to get you set up for living a life uh pursuing the Lord to the very end and knowing that he's with you and he's guiding you and he's directing you and so that's just hopefully today you will see that and, and understand that and just rejoice in it so look at 18 or sorry eight twenty six through 27 and you'll see us the see here that the spirit helps us with our prayers Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit is helping us in our weaknesses. Like, we are, are a weak people. We know we are in need of the Lord, and sometimes we don't even know what to pray. And that's kind of, as you look at this, there are times where you have no words and the spirit is working on your behalf. You're facing different difficulties and troubles and trials and, and even your own personal failings or flaws. And you know, I don't even know how to get this out or I don't even know how to get to the root of it. I remember talking to Anna a few years ago about like there was a lot of discussion in biblical counseling over getting to the heart. And I would just be like, how do you even examine the heart? And Jeremiah knew that. He said, the heart is deceitful. And so you don't even always know, like, what is going on within you and why you are living or acting or speaking in whatever way. And you have to trace that back. But sometimes you don't even know what you're looking for. And uh, so the Spirit is working as you certainly are praying and you're moving forward in prayer. He is interceding on your behalf. We also see here the Father searches our hearts and the Spirit really is interceding in accordance with God's will. And so sometimes when we don't know what to pray, the Father searching the heart, knowing what's going on within us better than we know ourselves, and the Spirit is taking that, really even sometimes the confusion and making sense of it so that our prayers are, are kind of moving forward towards the will of God, rather than, than like me, sometimes I'm firing up prayers and I think that those may or may not be according to the will of God. Sometimes you do feel confused in your prayer or how to pray. You're not sure. There's this confidence he's trying to give you that the spirit is working to help you pray rightly according to the will of God. You really see all members and it was mentioned in our discussion, but, you know, all members of the Trinity in, in our prayers and where the. The Father is searching our hearts, and if you read in other passages, Jesus is interceding for us, and then you see within us the Spirit is interceding, and there's this uh, the, the triune God at work in in, in doing this, uh, accomplishing this work of prayer uh, in our lives. It's something that should give us great confidence in in praying. To say, you know, even though I may not know how to pray in this circumstance or what to pray or i don't even feel like i can utter the words i don't even know if i can find them I, I i just move forward in that because i know in confidence that he is working that out uh in my life and in our lives as a body then you move to this next section in eight twenty-eight through 30 and you see how our sovereign god is is at work in all the circumstances of our lives And that's an important thing to see. Verse 28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So not only does the Spirit help us in our prayers, we also can know that all things are being worked out for us. God is working out all things uh, for those who love Him. This is a promise, really, that should lead us to... um, Gratitude and joy. We should should know with thanksgiving that God is working on behalf of his people to take the most difficult circumstances or maybe the most delightful. He is working those out in our lives. That's so important for us. We, We are not living as people without hope we're living as people with certainty. Christians don't like think, oh, you know, we're not going to have a hard life because we're Christians. As Christians, we're going to have an easy life. Everything's going to go just kind of peachy in our lives. We, We know that's not the reality, but we also know that we're just not left here kind of like, you know, oh, I don't, there's no, there's nothing, no one watching over me. We know that God is watching over us, but also orchestrating the events of our lives. So you could, in a way, and I I, I was, uh, it was interesting, Mike Smith and I a few years ago were talking about how sometimes he was saying, he talks to his children and they're going back and forth on on an issue or whatever, and and they might look at him and say, you're just not, you You know, you you just kind of have this negative view of these things or whatever. And he says, no, it's not that. It's just I have a realistic view of life, but it's not that it's not positive. I know that God is working out all these things to accomplish his purpose in the life of his people that that we may not fully understand. So I'm positive, but I also know that there's going to be a lot of trouble and it's not going to be easy and it's going to oftentimes be difficult. So this truth, though, what does it do for us? I think it kind of helps if you have any fear or anxiety ever. And I know none of you probably do. But if those ever come at you, if you ever face that or you ever struggle with that, you can say here that there are no accidents. Whatever you face in life. It's not just by random chance. You're not living in a world where it's just like, well, it's just totally uh, out of control. It's not out of control. You might say it's out of your control, but it's not out of control. God is accomplishing his plans in the most difficult of circumstances. He is accomplishing his plans. This world is not just out of control, but we can trust that God is controlling it he is reigning over it our lives are not left up to fate this this world is controlled by our father who wants good for us who loves us and if god is working for our good in everything then both good and bad things work for the good in our lives now what is that good it's another thing we discussed over there it is that he is conforming us to the image of his son that's the good. It may not feel good. It may feel like, oh my goodness, this is really made me raw. This is really hurtful. This is a struggle. It may not always feel good. But it is accomplishing his plan of conforming us to the image of his son. John Newton said, everything is needful that he sins. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Keller stated that thus, if we think we require some good thing that God has withheld from us. Now listen, if we think that we require some good thing that God has withheld from us. In reality, we don't absolutely need it. It also means that if we feel our life has been ruined by some bad thing. In reality, it is playing some very important role in our lives. It is teaching, molding, enriching, humbling, and so on. Romans 8.28 teaches us to look at life's troubles as part of God's loving purpose for us. That's why you could say, and you might say, in the bigger scheme of things, you have to think in terms of not just you personally. You are not kind of a person on an island but even corporately god is accomplishing his plan for his people he's molding them teaching them enriching them humbling them as he works out his plan and we have nothing to fear we are not to despair it's not like you go around looking for trouble But trouble is going to come in our lives. And in the midst of that, God is working all those things together for the good of his people. I I really, uh, I've loved uh, the story of Joseph. I I don't know, it was just one of the first studies that I did maybe, you know, 20 something years ago. Just to kind of, that I really got to settle in on and think about and, and just get in. And uh, I, I remember uh, just working through that step by step and getting maybe for the very first time to a passage like Genesis fifty twenty, and where Joseph uh, looks at his brothers who thinks he's about to take us out because our dad's gone and he can do what he wants to. And Joseph says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to bring about the present result, which brought about salvation in a temporal sense for the whole world. Uh, at least their known world, and in 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 an eternal sense, you could say at some level, we're saying that the people of God were preserved because of Joseph's life. And so I just think for us, we, we stop and say, look, in the big picture, we know that whatever difficulty or trouble or trial that we face, God is working out his purposes and plans of conforming his people to himself. Now, that's a really important point. Now, this is, this is kind of a shocking thing. For someone that does not trust in the Lord, their greatest blessings, those who do not have not been called to the Lord, those who are not Christians, their greatest blessings may be the worst things that could have ever happened to them. Romans 1 speaks of that. God just gives... The ungodly over to what they want. And that is ultimately leads to their damnation. They continue in rebellion. And so it's one of those things where you say, when we look at this stuff, like the good and the bad for the believer is God's plan to bring about conforming you to the image of his son. The good and the bad for the unbeliever is something that ultimately will eventually just lead them further and further away. The good thing sometimes gives them overconfidence. The bad things may be so crushing to them. But for the believer, he backs away from the good and the bad that God brings and says, he is conforming me to the image of his son. That's how we should see that. That's how we should understand that. God may use whatever circumstances to both humble or encourage or whatever, but he is using it because he wants you to be everything he wants you to be, which is to be like his son. And if you always get your way, you will not be like Jesus. It's just our natural inclination is to think of ourselves and to be selfish and always want what we want our way right away now. If we always get to make the decisions, call it, then what happens We will turn into a monster, not into Jesus. I mean, you've met people that way. It is not something you want to be. In your flesh, you may want it, but it is not what we really want. God will work for our ultimate good through triumph and tragedy. And we have to see that. Now, we keep moving forward and you think, okay, so what... What does that look like or what can we expect from what he's saying here? Look at verses 29 and 30. What Paul does is he takes you from like you could say eternity past to eternity future. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. But he carries you through the gamma and he helps you understand that God, the good that he is doing is this whole work of salvation he is accomplishing for us uh, is on display in these two verses, really. And so we'll look at them and work to them. Look at verse 29 30. For those whom he foreknew, he is also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, the 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 thing you see here is God is conforming his people to his son he has this master plan a blueprint of what we are to look like and that's what he is doing he is shaping you into the image of his son we are being transformed into his likeness that we would be like him as his brothers, that we would be transformed, we would be shaped by him. Now, you'll notice that there are five verbs here, and each one, as if they've already taken place, you'll note, note them. He says, God in the past. So they say, God foreknew, God called, God predestined, God justified, God glorified. You're looking all the way back, and you're looking into eternity. Right? You're looking back to the before the foundations of the world, and you're looking to the future of eternal bliss with the Lord. That's how that shapes out. So you've got to look at these words and think okay, what are we talking about? What are we looking at here? First, he foreknew. This is not just saying God knows the future, it's just if you study the scriptures. When we think about he knew someone, when he says, I knew him, it's, it's speaking of a personal relationship. He has chosen them or he has loved them. You might say it that way. It's, it's, it's the difference of Jesus saying in Matthew 7, I never knew you. So they, He's saying there'll be people that come to me and he says, I never knew you. Well, the reality is what he's saying here is those whom he did know, those who he has set his covenant love upon. I, I, you know, it's it's like what he said to Jeremiah before in your mother's womb. I knew you. It's, it's something of a relationship. I knew you. I purpose to know you. I foreknew you. Then he says predestined. It means to set a destination when you go on a trip and you say we're going here where are we going we're going right there well God when God like says this is destined this is what's going to take place he is saying beforehand I set in motion I destined this to take place and it will happen you and I say I'm going to the beach we don't know for sure I mean we might set our 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 GPS and say I'm going there We don't know for sure we'll make it, but when God predestines, says, I have set in motion and I am going to bring to pass what I have planned, it it will come to pass. God, because of his covenant love for us, his his foreknowing us, choosing to love and know us, has made a plan ahead of time for us. That we will get there. Now, what, what is there? What, what is he talking about? That we will be like his son. I was telling them earlier. It's that's why in John you, you you read, and this is eternal life that they may know Jesus. He is destined that your your destination is that you would become conformed to the image of his son. That you would be in the family. And that you would bring, be brought into Christ's likeness both in the period of your life but in, all over into eternity. God's already set the destination. Third, called. Now I just want to stop here just real quick. You understand, it's not like you get one of these. That, that's not what this text is saying. He's saying, you get all of them. He's not talking about separate groups of people. The church of the, the believing people of God, they those who truly come to know the Lord are those who he foreknew. He set his love upon them. He, he, he destined them for something, a future, and he calls them. And again, it's not a universal call. The scripture talks about this call in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that that um, how does let me go back and, and read it just to so make sure I don't miss that the way we pronounce it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, so so He calls them in space and time. That's what First Thessalonians says. We know God. Paul says, we know God chose you because when the gospel came, it came in power and in the Holy Spirit with deep conviction. And you came to Christ. God called you. He brought you to himself. And so he foreknew you. He set his love on you before the foundations of the world. He predestined where you're going to be. You're going to become like Christ. And then in space and time, he calls you to himself. And the way you know he's called you to himself is that when this the, the gospel call came, you responded. You, you responded in faith and trust and, and hope. Those who he's called, he's justified. Again. In this period of time on earth, when you come in faith to Christ, you are legally declared right with God because of the work of Christ. This is a status that comes with believing in Him. Those Those who He's justified, He's also glorified. Now here's the thing. This is a little bit like, Oof, are you serious? Now listen, if you struggle with God keeping his people to the very end, this right here says, just as he said all along the way, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. When you get to glorified, he's saying, my plan, which will not be thwarted, is that all sin will be eradicated from your life and He will make you perfect and holy, both body and soul. That's my plan. And I will bring it to pass. I mean, you understand, it's not, He's not giving separate people a separate thing. He's saying all those who are God's people, all those who are His children, all those will experience or have experienced These things. It's as if it's already been done. It is as sure as if it has already been done. God foreknew. God predestined. God called. God justified. God glorified. Boom. Whole package. It's what he's saying to his people. Now, why would he say this? To confuse them? No. To build hope. To build certainty, to build a foundation, to give you a rock-solid faith, to give you the most sure foundation that you know that you are standing upon without any fear, should humble you, and at the same time, elevate your heart to a place, maybe, possibly, even today, that it's never been before. Now, how should we respond to these things? That's what Paul's basically saying. What? What are we going to say to these things? I don't understand. No, it's not what we're going to say to these things. What are we going to say to these things? He says with five questions and then follows them. If first, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God in eternity past all the way to eternity future has secured a place for his people, who is going to? be against us who is going to thwart his plan who is going to push god around who is going to move who's going to do that who's going to do that is there anybody that's going to stop what god has planned to do what is he he has purposed uh, for us like what are you afraid of what do you fear if if God is doing these things, if God has secured this kind of future, and if He is working with you in the present, what are you afraid of? What, what are you afraid of losing? What are you gripping so tightly that you would like beat people down if they try to take it away from you? What are you holding on to? If God is for us, who could be against us? You are not going to lose out in this life or the life to come. No one's going to thwart His plan. Second, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God gave His most precious possession like, are, you, are you afraid that somehow, again, that's so difficult for us and difficult for me. It's like, why would you spend your life worried about trying to find security in the shifting sand of this world? It is, it is, it's a mirage. You are standing on a, a not a solid foundation when you are putting your hope in. This present age and the security that it might bring, what he is saying is God has lavishly gifted you with the greatest gift he could ever possibly give you. Like If that is true, if, if he's done that, what are, you, what are you concerned about? Third, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now here's the thing. If, if there was someone that could bring a charge and say, they're just not good enough. Who's the judge? Who is sitting there reigning over that moment? Who's the judge? God is the judge. And who has justified you? God. So who's going to say Guilty. The only one left is God to say guilty. And what has he pronounced over you? You're in good standing. Who is to condemn? People spend their lives feeling condemned. We already read in, 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 in that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But again he says, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is seated at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. Notice that. In Romans 4, this is what God says to us. When I raised Jesus from the dead, I was saying to you. The resurrection was saying this to you. It was saying That I am satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I'm satisfied with that. I'm never bringing that up again. Your sin has been dealt with. If you're bringing it up, it is because you have not fully grasped the wonder of what happened at the cross. Stop bringing that up. If you're bringing up charges against yourself, if you are condemning yourself, or if other people are condemning you, you say, I don't have to listen to that. Jesus was condemned for me and God said, guess what? Boom, I'm satisfied. Raised him from the dead. That's what Romans 4 says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, the question that comes to us, is there... Someone that's going to tear this away? This thing that God has ordained and set in motion and brought to pass and finished? Who's going who's to do that? Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Now, he lists a lot of things that are troubles in this present age. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Trouble, hardship, and persecution come to all Christians. Famine and nakedness and danger and sword come to many. Because many Christians have faced death throughout church history, we know that. But can anything detach us from it? In the worst of circumstances that you could ever imagine, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. We triumph. Why? We just read why. God the Spirit is working. Our holy God is... No circumstances that come are not coming through His hands. They're part of His plan. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. And he has set in motion from before the foundation of the worlds on into eternity, this plan of saving a people for himself. You say, hold on just a second. Nothing in human experience, not death or life. Nothing in the spiritual realm, not angels or demons. Nothing in time, neither the present or the future. Nothing that opposes God's people, no powers in this age. Nothing in space, neither height nor depth. Nothing, nothing. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ. Paul wants you to face life, both the good and bad, with an amazing confidence. A confidence that is so secure it is so sure that you can stand. You can stand in the face of the greatest trials that you ever could imagine. When you start saying, I'm afraid, you think, you stop, you consider this passage. If you say, I'm worried, you stop and consider this passage. If you say, I'm feeling so guilty, You stop and consider this this passage. You use the logic of the gospel to combat the lies of the enemy. You reread it, and you read it, and you reread it, and you ponder it, and you consider it to be true. Joe said... When he told me his praying for me, and I may have mentioned this earlier, he said, you know, some of them don't, they don't get this yet. They don't get this yet. So, I don't know where you are today. But I would say you heed the teaching here. It's the most powerful and confidence-building passage that I know of in Scripture. God will keep you. He has planned it. He will bring it to pass. Whatever you face in this present age, it will not compare to the glory to be revealed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing truths here. We pray that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord knowing that our labor is not in vain, knowing that the trials in this present age, although they may be fierce and difficult, should not make us feel like we've been abandoned, but only remind us that we are more secure. In Christ's name, amen.